Good morning, it's Paul Scott here on Saturday the 13th of May 2023. As, you, as usual, doing my two podcasts, so part one, this is the, the one you're listening to now, is uh, about all the individual small cap trading updates and results statements this week. Shortened week, four-day week, and then part two will be just my general macro market uh, news and views. There's not really a lot of, uh, this week for, for part two, so that is probably going to be quite brief. Uh, obviously, uh, another shortened four-day four week this week due to the coronation on of King Charles on Monday. And of course, tonight, Saturday the 13th of May, we've got Eurovision. So, I mean, is the excitement ever going to end? I don't know if I can cope with all this. <laughs> One of the readers suggested we just make every Monday a bank holiday and that way we'd only have four days each week to lose money in. <laughs> Which I thought, you've got to laugh, haven't you? You've got to laugh. Bear markets are horrible, but it lays the groundwork for all the lovely multi-baggers of the future. So we just have to endure it. Right, OK, moving on then to Tuesday, 9th of May's report. We really hit the ground running. Oh, sorry, of course, these are the Stockopedia small cap value reports that I write uh, along with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. So um, we cover over 500 UK small caps and we do reviews of between five and ten companies each day, companies that are issuing uh, trading updates and result statements. And we give it. We do a quick review of of them all. Obviously, we're covering lo- so many companies that we can't go into any great depth on any of them. So what we do then is we just have a simple traffic light system, whereby we say based on our on our brief review, do we think it's safe to proceed as as uh, traffic lights uh, are designed for? So if we rate it green, then we're just saying yes, we think this looks. Um, financially secure so it's got sound finances it's trading and outlook are okay and it's reasonably priced so that's what a thumbs up mean it doesn't mean you're going to make untold riches automatically from following this idea it's saying yes we think it's green so we think it's safe to proceed to do your own detailed research on it so the idea is we're narrowing it down to companies that uh, we think look uh, the most um the safest, really, in terms of going on to invest in them. If we rate, rate things amber, then we're just saying, well, we're not sure either way. No strong view. Could be good, could be bad. But, you know, it's up to you. Have a look at it by all means, but we can't come to a firm uh, position either way. And if we flag it red, we're saying there's something seriously wrong here um, in terms of high financial risk, usually. Uh, so higher risk of insolvency or, or, or uh, a discounted placing. Um, and there's something else wrong with it basically so if you do proceed uh you know we well we're saying we don't think it's particularly safe to to proceed at all if we rate something red but if you do you know decide to look at it just be aware of the risks that we've identified and it may be a false alarm in some cases or you might decide that risk reward you know the share price is sufficiently low that maybe it's worth taking that risk or you might decide look look I'll buy a basket of of higher risk stocks with the assumption that several will go wrong but I might get one or two major multi-baggers you know there are lots of different ways of, of approaching this so that's really just to explain to you what we mean by our traffic light system because I think there has been a little bit of misunderstanding on that from one or two people so unfortunately I think it means we'll have to put yet another disclaimer in every report just so people um, maybe who are a little bit slow on the uptake 
uh, get a better idea of, of what it is. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe for new for new subscribers as well, it might be good to specify what we exactly mean by the traffic light system. So leave that with me. I'll come up with something uh, this weekend to start putting in from next week. Okay, going to Tuesday night the May's report then. Graham looked at Mincon. Um, this is a, a supplier of products to the mining industry, 213 million market cap. It's based in Ireland where, of course, Graham is. So he's got really good insights um, with local knowledge, of course. Um, so he tends to cover the Irish companies listed in the UK. Uh, I think he's amber on it, he says. But it sounds like he's leaning towards green. Uh, seems to think it's quite a good company. Uh, I don't like to talk for Graham, so I only, you know, he's his own man. He does his own analysis, so we don't have a house view on things. It's just coincidental that as value investors, both Graham and I usually agree on practically everything. Uh, but sometimes we disagree, and that's fine. It's all about, you know, discussion. We're not telling you what to invest in on Stockopedia. We're just bouncing ideas around. And the, the whole ethos of the site is do your own research. We'll just throw ideas at you and um, discussion and so on but ultimately it's everybody's own job to do their own research next i looked at marshall's mslh this is a um heavy building products supplier so i think they've got some quarries and they do uh um roofing as well roof tiles bricks um mortar and and landscaping products you know so i suppose that's things like slate and gravel and so on anyway it's a profit warning from marshall's 641 million market cap down and the shares dropped 15 percent now this is interesting i noticed that the shares fully recovered uh the uh price back up to I think about three pounds by the end of the week now that's a very positive sign isn't it I think if you see a share or a sector where profit warnings are coming out but the market's dipping and then recover recovering quite quickly I think that's a very uh, interesting and potentially bullish signal but it depends because each individual company has a different shareholder base and it just depends entirely on what those shareholders decide to do. Well, clearly in Marshall's MSLH, it's got shareholders who, at least for this week anyway, um, were prepared to, to buy the dip. So that's encouraging. Now, what did it actually say? Well, it lowered expectations, but didn't give any actual specific guidance. And there, was there were no broker updates available on the day. So that left me and other private investors just in limbo. We think, well, we don't know how to, um, how to, to, to assess this. Uh, it's very frustrating because then you get the brokers that restrict the output of their research departments, having a quiet chat with the company, getting direct guidance from the company, and then putting out revised forecasts to um, to their clients, which is not fair. It's blatantly unfair. Uh, so this really irritates me. Uh, well, I think it's some, something fundamentally wrong with the UK market. Research should go out to everyone or to no one. Or if you're going to commission your own research, that's fine. But don't expect to be able to speak to the FD and get a steer from the FD. That's the issue. It's that the, the people are getting privileged um, access to the company and then distributing that research to a, to their paying clients. And that is wrong. Anyway, Marshalls blames macro factors, the slowdown in new house building starts, which we, we already know about. And it's also saying the slower discretionary RMI, which stands for repair, maintenance and investment. 
again, put a bloody asterisk in saying what all these abbreviations are. Because you can't just assume that everyone will know what RMI actually means if they're not, you know, familiar with the sector. So we need more footnotes. Every if you any RNS that uses any abbreviation should have a footnote at the bottom. So please, I know a lot of city people listen to these podcasts. Please just put in footnotes for all abbreviations. It saves us time. So now I've said here I couldn't really reconcile um, the sector slowdown that. Marshalls talks about with the fact that we've recently had upbeat uh, updates from the brick sellers. You've got Michelmersch Brick, Brickability, which is a distributor, um, uh, Forterra, and oh, there's another one, isn't there? Oh, I can't remember it. But anyway, there are four or five listed brick manufacturers, stroke distributors, and they've all said actually trading's fine. So I can't understand the, the discrepancy there, so we'll just have to wait and see. But I've said here, maybe it's just best to steer clear of the holding building, the, the building supplies sector at the moment, because there does seem to be a downturn occurring at the moment. But of course, at some point, the market, market will anticipate a recovery in 2024. So these bombed out building uh, supplies shares could be bargains that we should be um, picking up. So I'm a little bit undecided on that at the moment. Graham looked to Hostel World. He's amber on it. We, uh, we, come with, there's some significant improvements at Hostel World. It's trading better. It's also, crucially, one of the things we really didn't like about it was it had this onerous debt facility. It's now refinanced that. So both Graham and I agree this is Hostel World is looking much more investable. But we can't reconcile the numbers with the valuation. It looks far too expensive at 170 million. Um, but you know it, it is performing better now I looked at Christie Group CTG now I had a call on my voicemail actually from Lord Lee who uh, obviously renowned investor one of the first or maybe the first ISA millionaire uh, going back about 20 odd years uh, now he left a message for me saying Christie's dirt cheap and you know he thinks it's a really really good company and we've spoken about Christie before so you know if one of the UK's most successful private investors tells you something's cheap you you have a look at it don't you anyway um I covered it over the weekend and put that in Tuesday's report I think it looks quite good um the, I think the story is it with it is that it has one division that was loss making in 2022 which is now trading profitably so that sets it up I like those type of situations but that sets it up well for a, an improvement in trading in 2023 um I couldn't get madly excited about it all though so I've just gone amber on on Christie possibly worth worth a look the balance sheet's better um so yeah I couldn't really see any downsides on Christie um but couldn't get madly excited about the upside either but um and Lord Lee is putting his money where his mouth is he's a four percent disclosable shareholder in it so I like that I like it when people put their money where the mouth is next to look at purple bricks absolute disastrous update from this now I've got real issues with this because um if you I've looked back at the previous RNSs and as recently as um uh 21st of December in 2022 they were saying that they were planning to reach break even in early 2024 prior to that I think in maybe in October um, the company had 31 million in cash and um, the CEO put out a very bullish comment the new CEO saying that uh, there was going to be a tremendous improvement evident in the April 2023 results. Now, these statements now look to have been highly misleading. And I have been 
gone on record as saying that when I heard an interview with the latest CEO of Purple Bricks, it put me completely off the share uh, because I thought she doesn't know the first thing about estate agency. She was talking about process and HR and all sorts of totally irrelevant things in an interview she did. And I thought, this is not going to be a turnaround. And I put that in one of my reports. I can't remember when, but you know, this is why it's worth listening to webinars with company CEOs, because sometimes it can actually completely put you off the share when you realise that the person running it doesn't know what they're doing. And that's certainly what happened with, with, with that Purple Bricks webinar. So I've not been tempted to bottom fish this. But anyway, cutting to the chase, the cash pile is down to only 9 million. 9.1 million at the end of April. So God knows what they've done with 24 million cash that's been burnt through in six months. I mean, that is so bad. It's disastrous. Uh, there's a small number of parties now in discussions over a takeover, but the price would be material, materially below the current share price if anyone's prepared to offer for it at all. So I think this is now looking like it's probably going to zero. Somebody might try and nab it for and to, 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 to try up for whatever cash is remaining, but it sounds to me like it's just hemorrhaging cash and it's probably going to end up in administration. I wouldn't touch the equity. It's just too high risk. Next, I looked at Reynold, R&O. I picked up some shares in this myself back in April, so I, I like Reynold. I've liked it for a long time, actually. It's a very nice turnaround. It took a long time for the turnaround to happen. But the news flow is just getting better and better. And it's just announced an extension of its banking facilities. A fourth bank has joined its banking syndicate. So the facilities are going up from 61.5 million to 85 million with a 20 million accordion. It's nicely funded now for doing more acquisitions. The beauty of which is they know the sector inside out. So they know what they're buying. They buy things at reasonable prices that are, that are a good complementary fit. Uh, they've got the bank facilities now to, to May 2026 and the covenants have even been relaxed a bit from 2.5 times to 3 times uh, on the net debt to EBITDA covenant, which is the most important covenant. So all this is telling us, I think, the banks are very relaxed with it and um, it put out good trading, good results recently. So, yeah, I think Reynolds is very, very good. Obviously, be aware of the pension deficit, which is still... Uh, very large and sucking out a lot of cash. But the beauty is the more acquisitions they do of, of, of uh, new subsidiaries which don't have pension deficits, then it dilutes the pension problem into a bigger company and it becomes less of an issue. So I think, Reynold, I think 4P is only about 5. That's too cheap, even when you allow for the... Um, even when you allow for the pension issue. So I think a Reynold is a, is a nice little share. Uh, I'm going to stick with that. And now Graham looked at TT Electronics, TTG, which he likes. What else do we have? Uh, oh, McFarlane, McFarlane, MACF. This is a packing packaging distributor based in Glasgow. I really like this. I'm green on this. I think it's cheap, 4P of 9. Um, it says... Uh, a solid start to 2023 and on course to meet full year expectations. And that's also making sensible acquisitions. And it's got neglig negligible bank debt, despite the fact that it's been making acquisitions. So I think it looks really attractive. Just a nice, solid value share. Um, I could see that re-rating once we get back into bullish mode. Another takeover bid, this time for Civitas Social Housing, CSH. This is a REIT. I don't tend to look at REITs in the small cap value reports because they just take too long to analyse. Each one is a kind of half to full day job looking at what properties they own. You've got to go into the debt in a lot of depth. But anyway, this was a 43% premium bid. 
Um, I think, was this from a Hong Kong investor from memory? It does flag up the fact that maybe there's, well, not maybe, I think there are probably some bargains in the property sector that are worth looking at. And the standout signs on um, Civitas was that it had a 10.5% forward dividend yield and was trading at half tangible book value. So usually those sort of metrics mean something's wrong. But in this case, it just meant it was too cheap. So well done to people who spotted that. Now, I've rung the alarm bell on Boohoo uh, down 5% to 44p. Uh, on the basis of press reports saying that Boohoo's demanding a 10% discount from its suppliers. Now, that is always a bad sign. Whenever that's happening, it means the company's trading badly, they're getting desperate, and they're trying to screw their suppliers. I've, I, I can't see any sign of recovery at Boohoo. I was hoping it would recover. And there are some tailwinds that are moving in the fast fashion guys' favour now, particularly freight costs dropping a lot and uh, factory gate prices sort of easing. So there should be better margins available, but I think the whole sector's just been smashed to smithereens by the Chinese comp competition from Xi'an. Um, quite a few competitors have gone bust, like Misguided and um, what was the one I saw at first, which was actually a Kamani family spin-off that didn't really work. Um, I think that was bought out by Mike Ashley. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have any particular expertise in, in e-commerce fast fashion. Um, but, you know, certainly the Boohoo guys know more than he does anyway. And if they couldn't make it work, then I don't I don't think he will. But anyway, um, yeah, I, th I think the signs to me are looking pretty negative for Boohoo. So I suspect the best route for it might be. And um, I also saw press reports that it it's looking at pivoting strategic direct direction back to the sort of low cost sweatshop type manufacturing in, by third parties. And you can't do that, really, if you're a listed company. So I think the exit route for Boohoo is probably going to be a take private, which why would they want to pay a premium for that? You know, almost you could see it, it sort of just getting run down and then bought out on the cheap. So I'm not tempted to go near Boohoo. And I think ASOS is looking very, very wobbly now. But we'll come on to that. Midwich, I looked at MIDW. I really like, quite like this, actually. I went Greenman on this AGM statement. Uh, it's a distributor of audio audiovisual equipment. Uh, it said trading expectations are unchanged. Uh, it's only on a forward P of 11.6 and a 4% dividend yield. And the tone of the update um, seemed pretty good. So I think just as a, as a fairly standard value share, I think uh, Midwich uh, could be quite good. It's the sort of thing, uh, as, as always, with... I don't see any immediate catalyst for it particularly to go up, but I think in a bull market you could see uh, the P rating uh, increase from 11.6 to maybe something near 13, 14, 15, which gives you a 20 or 30% upside, doesn't it? Just from a re-rate of the, of the actual PE. Not the best balance sheet I've seen, but not terrible either. Okay, I think that covers everything on, on Tuesday. Oh, just as a, a postscript, on Tuesdays, Small cap value report as well. The comments, the reader comments were fantastic. Loads of really interesting reader comments. Too many to mention, but uh, a lot of people took the time and trouble to add value to the report by uh, putting in some excellent points on the companies we've discussed. And we also had another discussion about the iEnergizer delisting where the founder held 83%. I think the general opinion amongst the readers and me is that you just don't touch anything where insiders own over 50% of the business because you don't have any say in what happens. You don't really have any protection. So why buy the shares? 
I think, uh, you know, there'd have to be a very strong reason to break that rule, which there might be in some cases. As I've mentioned before, VP Group and Goodwin are both shares where the, the, they're controlled by the founders, but they've never put a foot wrong. So it ultimately boils down to how much you trust the controlling shareholders. And um, I think the, the AIM rules need to change. You can't possibly have things listing where the people who list it control over 75%, because then they can do anything they want, because they can pass special resolutions, which means there's zero protection for minority shareholders. And I think there needs to be a sensible free float in order, in order to get some liquidity. So, you know, nobody forces us to buy any share. So it's caveat emptor, isn't it? And when I remember as well, I mentioned the shareholding structure now in most of the companies I look at in the small cap value reports. So I think it's very relevant and you want to be in things where the delisting risk is as low as possible. Right, on to Wednesday's report. Again, lots of interesting companies. We looked at eight companies on Wednesday, the 10th of May. Uh, starting off with, where are we? Um, <coughs> oh, Echo, E-C-K. This is the specialist software for call centres. 124 million market cap. It put out a trading update for March 2023, year ending um, a little bit, a few days ago. I think it was from last week, but I circled back to it. It said it was slightly ahead of expectations and they've got particular growth has come through from quite a large acquisition. So you do need to um, remember that this is not all organic growth. So the numbers are not quite as impressive when you take that into account. And I do really question the whole growth story about Echo because it's been around a long time and it hasn't generated a lot of organic growth. That said, it makes very nice margins. It seems to be doing well in North America where it is achieving strong organic growth. So I've I've concluded Amber on this. I think it might be, uh, which obviously doesn't mean anything other than we don't have a strong view either way. It could be worth... Um, a good look. It seems to have some momentum behind it. Echo does at the moment. Now, I also looked at HVO. HVO. This is the human trials, drug trials company, which claims to be a world leader in this. Uh, I looked at its um, December 2022 annual results. I did briefly hold these shares myself, actually, but I got slightly wobbly on it and I had to top slice things to to raise money to buy other shares that I was more keen on. And I just forget every time I needed some cash for something else, I found I was top slicing HVivo. So I just thought, well, this is obviously the share I've got least confidence in out of the ones I own. So I might as well get rid of all of them. So I've, I don't currently hold it, but I am tempted to buy back in. I have to say, I looked at the 2022 results and they're very good, very impressive organic growth. And um, I do like the bull case, but see Wednesday's report for some of the questions and reservations I've got. We also usually get a reply from David J. Hill. Thank you, David, for your responses to my points on that. Uh, again, I would like more third party evidence of the company's merits. I think it's all very well believing what the company tells us, but that it's one of these things with a very, very promotional CEO, So, uh, which makes me a little bit nervous after my experience with Wandisco. Although I don't think HVivo is another one disco, I have to say, because it's got pots of cash in the bank and it is, it is profitable now and so on. So um, anyway, that's that one. ASOS, I looked at the H1 results, absolutely diabolical. So I'm red on ASO, ASOS. I think there's a serious chance this could go to zero, you know. This obviously is the, 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 
the big fashion e-commerce behemoth. Um, isn't it interesting how, you know, this, this share was the big, I think the biggest ever multi-bagger on, on AIM. I remember buying them at 5p. I think they bottomed out as low as 4 or even 3p after one of their warehouse fires years and years and years ago, and then went on to £85 a share. So it was a comfortable, what, what does that work out, at 2,000 or 3,000 bagger? But I, I mean, looking at it now, I think this thing could even, it could even potentially go bust if they don't manage to turn it around. So wouldn't it be ironic if a company that went on a 20-year uh, major bull run ended up doing a round trip from zero up to five billion market cap and back down to zero. I mean, it's down to five, it's 90% of the way there already, down to f uh, about 500 million market cap. Um, you know, if they can't turn this thing around, it could go under. And I think the whole story about the turnaround look, looks flimsy to me. So I just wouldn't touch it. I think ASOS is, is looking very, very wobbly. The, the company's, it's never actually made any money. This is the thing, not sustainable. Uh, or repeatable profits um, and the reason is the margins are too low the gross margins are very low because it's shifting mainly other people's gear um, wholesale, from wholesalers so it's only making about a 40 to 43 percent gross margin even in a good year but then this year it's also writing off a load of stock so the gross margin is down in the mid to high 30s well, you can't make money at that level so it's losing money there's all this talk about h2 improving Rather you than me, I just I cannot see the point in buying a, a, a loss-making company just on the hope that it's going to suddenly turn itself around. So, yeah, big thumbs down for ASOS, I'm afraid. Now, Graham looked at the pawnbroker H&T. He's always green on this. We both uh, like the figures, don't really like the activities of the business, I have to say. But, um, you know, in terms of a, looking at a, a cold and clinical way, H&T is a good share, I think. So we're green on that. Now, Graham looked at Treat. Got a very big following amongst private investors. Um, an inline update, TET. I also looked at the. Uh, I was listening. Sorry, listening to the podcast yesterday. Didn't particularly inspire me. Um, we always come down to valuation with Treat. We just don't understand why people are still paying a PE in the high twenties for it. We, I don't know. Maybe people think the new factory is going to produce a lot greater growth and higher margins than uh, the brokers are anticipating, which it could well do. So I'm not dismissing Treat by any means, um, but um, all we can go on is the current broker forecast and the current valuation, and it doesn't really stack up at the current price. But it's a perfectly valid point of, alternative point of view to say you'll think of a little smash forecasts. And with a brand new, more efficient factory, you know, there are, there's good reasons to, to believe that. So we're not we're not negative on treat. We're just neutral on it. Uh, oh, it does. Um, sorry, I should have said it mainly supplies um, flavorings for the drinks industry. Um, specialist stuff, you know. Uh, now, I looked at J.D. Weatherspoon. These shares have doubled from the October low uh, and I'm amber on it. Lots. It's Q3. Q3 trading update was was very good. So I think this is indicative that I think the whole hospitality sector is now looking very interesting. Lots of bombed out bargains in the sector that are starting to move. I think JD Weatherspoon's had its big move. Uh, the price is up with events, I think, on that. But I said that last time and it carried on going up. So what do I know? You know, it's all down, all down to market sentiment. And it is backed with um, lots of freeholds as well. So um, certainly JD, JD Weatherspoon has got good momentum at the moment. But shares are probably up with 
I think the big move has happened, as I say. And then quick comments. Graham looked at T. Clark. Amazed CTO. This is the uh, very low margin uh, electrical and IT contracting business that does fit outs of large buildings and so on. I'm amazed he's gone green on it. But, you know, I read his report on it and the, um, the order book's very, very good. And, um, you know, if you ignore the, the business cycle, um, then the shares look very good. The only thing I would say is that there does tend to be a lag for this type of, type of business from when a down economic downturn and a building sector downturn starts and it will then hit companies like T. Clark maybe a year two years later. So personally I wouldn't I wouldn't be going near that at this point in time but Graham likes it um, which is unusual for us to disagree. Next, I looked at Virtue Motors, VTU. As you know, this is one of my favourite value shares. It's terrific. Uh, and, you know, another good update. Uh, final results for February 2023. Uh, shares are just too cheap. It's as simple as that. Slightly ahead of expectations, and it's revised up expectations several times during the year. Um, forward PE is only 6.1. It's just too low, and it's fully backed. The share price is more than fully backed by net tangible asset value. Um you're getting share buybacks as well. A lot of them. The share count has dropped from 398 million to 349 million in the recent years, and current trading is good. Uh, I still, I still, I still think it's very good. It's got a good all. Everything about it is positive, basically, with Virtue Motors. So I don't hold any personally, but I'm itching to buy some. And I was listening to a PI World uh, webinar last night when I was walking for my constitutional after work. And uh, yeah, it's difficult to take in all the numbers when it's an audio thing. I like to listen to them on my headphones, but um, the general tone of it, you know, just sounds very good, I think. So, yeah, thumbs up from me uh, from Virtue Motors. Very, very, very good risk reward, I think. OK, that concludes Wednesday, 10th of May. Oh, I should say as well, the end game with Virtue, I think, will almost certainly be a takeover bid. The whole sector is consolidating the car dealers. Um, and at the moment, Virtue is making, I think, some very good acquisitions itself. And of course, it can use the equity in the freehold property to raise money, which it did. It raised money from a substantial amount from BMW Finance on a 20 year mortgage on properties, which was used to buy, uh, you know, a significant uh, business to bolt on, which was a good fit geographically and in terms of the brands, the franchise brands. Uh, you know, people say these car dealers are very low margin, but they're not really because the, 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 the revenue includes the value of the car. So I see that really as just pass through revenue. I'd be more inclined to use gross profit as uh, the revenue figure and they do all right. It's notable that the after sales uh, area, which is obviously servicing and warranties, that's the high margin bit of the business, which actually makes up the, uh, I think it was 44% of all the gross profit comes from after sales. So you could look at the low, mar low margin sale of a car, a new car as being, you know, the catalyst then to getting three to five years of high margin warranty and uh, repair and servicing work. So uh, the business model, I think, is better than people think. And listening to the webinar, I mean, man management at uh, Virtue Motors are so switched on. I think they're a terrific management team to back. So I really like this show. Itching to buy some. I just haven't got any spare cash. You know, you're not going to shoot the lights out and get a multi-bagger, but the risk reward on it, I think, is good. You know, 
there's, there's really very little downside risk, I think, because it's all so solidly underpinned. And at some point you wake up one morning and find you've got a 40% premium takeover bid. So, uh, and in the meantime, you get lovely divvies and they'll, they're carrying on with share buybacks. So what's not to like for value investors? It won't, won't suit everyone, but for value investors, I think Virtue Motors, I think the whole sector's good. So my approach would actually be, probably be to buy smaller positions in three or four of the car dealers, then you're more likely to, to hit a takeover bid, aren't you? Right, on to Thursday, 11th of May. I looked at Elico, E-L-C-O. This is a niche software business. Like the business, and Q1 trading update was good, in line. Uh, it's got nice recurring revenues now because it's transitioning to SaaS model. Uh, my only issue with Elico is evaluation. I don't know why it's on a high PE over 20, given that there hasn't been any profit growth in the last five years. I think you've really got to look closely at valuations. Now, interest rates are higher. You know, you've gone from zero interest rates to four or five percent base rates now, and that radically alters the risk reward of equities and means that growth companies in particular should be on much lower PE ratios, earnings yields, higher earnings yields now than they were a year ago. And I don't think that's fed through yet to equity values. I think a lot of investors are still thinking, oh, it's a growth company, let's value it on a PE of 30. You shouldn't be valuing things on a PE of 30 anymore, in my view. And it, maybe it'll take time for that to filter through to investor perception. I think we've got to be much more challenging on uh, these high PE ratios right now. Graham looked at SDI. Now, this is another... Uh, no, this is a medical imaging products, isn't it? Acquisitive group. We've always liked this. And it's been a major multi-bagger at long term, SDI has. But it put out a profit warning and dropped 21%. This is because the orders related to um, COVID machines. PCR, is it? I don't know what that stands for. But those orders have dried up. Now, in complete, the company's been complete, well, almost completely, I think, transparent about this in saying that the orders... You know, it's disclosed that these orders would dry up at some point. It's just that they seem to have dried up a bit earlier than expected. So that has pushed down the forecasts for March 2024. It's been a significant drop. And the valuation of the company uh, dropped in, in unison with that. It's still on a P of about 20, but it has got a nice acquisition story behind it as well. I think, to be fair, probably priced about right at around £1.38. Um, and, you know, the company did flag up this in advance. Now, I looked at S4 Capital, ticker SFOR. This is Sir Martin Sorrell's acquisitive digital marketing group. I don't like it. The finances are really weak. I'm red on this. Um, it's got a horrible geared balance sheets. The profits only arise after gigantic adjustments. It's, it makes statutory losses. I just don't like it. But as I've said here, I don't like the numbers, that is. But as I've said here, only the brave would bet against Sir Martin Sorrell, given his track record. So um, there we go. Hopefully we've covered bull and bear points on that. And Graham looked at character group, which he likes. He interims, he thinks uh, it looks good value. Poor interims, but it's saying the H2 should be a lot better. And H2, I know seasonally is when the... Uh, the orders come in for uh, the products for Christmas. I think it's an August year end. So uh, I, I, I would consider that. I've always had quite a good um, um, uh, view of character group. I think it's controlled by management again, so you'd need to look at the shareholding structure there. 
Friday was very quiet for news as it usually is, so I just do the Friday's reports on my own. I usually have a lion on Fridays as well because uh, because I'm tired because it's the end of the week. But anyway, I, I only covered two companies. I looked at Eurocell, E-C-E-L. Now, this is a manufacturer and retailer to the trade of double glazing, basically, and similar products. I really like this company, um, and I think at some point, like a lot of building supplies company, it'll be a nice buy. But I've been standing on the sidelines on it, um, even though it was on my watch list. I didn't want to buy any because I thought, well, we're, we're getting set to profit warnings. And sure enough, Eurocell put out a profit warning, but it only dropped about 13%, the shares. It wasn't a bad profit warning. And I've, I went through it on Friday's report in a fair bit of detail, and... I think it just brings the shares more into, into buying range, actually. Uh, it's 126 million market cap at £1.12 a share. I think as a medium to long term type value investment, I think this is looking very good because it, it in, in normal times, it makes about 20p earnings per share. It's going to be well below that this year. I've estimated it at probably between 12 and 15p this year. But it's a subdued year, which happens every now and then. You're not buying this year's earnings only. You're buying all earnings in perpetuity. So I'd, uh, that's why I like buying things like this when they're having a bad year, because you get, a, you get a bargain. It's a fundamentally sound company. It's got a very nice balance sheet. 98 million uh, net tangible asset value. So there's nothing to worry about in terms of dilution or solvency risk. So, yeah, I think it's now into buying range. So at some point, I think I might add, I might, I might open a small position in Eurocell personally. And uh, yeah, the dividends are good there as well. Although you can get four or five percent on cash now, can't you? So a dividend yield of five or six percent isn't really the same reason to buy a share uh, as, it, as it has been in the last 15 years. So that's always worth bearing in mind. So, yeah, I, I, I like I like Eurocell. What colour did I give it? Let's have a look. Uh, probably probably would have been green. Uh, uh, oh, I didn't give it a colour, but yeah, take it as red that I'm, I'm, I like it. Medium long term is how we analyse the fundamentals. No idea what the share price is going to do in the short term. Then I looked at THD, THG, oh dear, the HUP group um, formerly, and uh, 919 million market cap, even after a recent plunge. It's down 9% to 68p on news that the bid talks are off. I think management and shareholders are totally delusional at this company in terms of what they think it's worth. They've had Apollo sniffing around looking to, to buy it, but they can't get, uh, they can't uh, agree on a price. So the, term, the, 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 the conversations have been terminated. I mean, if you look at the last set of accounts, they're bloody awful. It, it, the balance sheet's really uh, collapsing, so uh, you know net tangible asset value has dropped hugely in the last year and is now only just above zero. Terrible cash flows makes enormous adjustments to the figures to eke out an adjusted EBITDA profit, which bears no relation whatsoever to actual profit as it's heavily loss making. I think it's an awful business, but. What they're saying is that they're going to turn it around by stripping out a lot of cost and that raw materials prices for the whey powder for its uh, 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 sports type nutrition drinks. Um, it, the price of whey is dropping down and they're looking basically they want to turn it around and actually make it into a viable business, which is a nice idea, isn't it? It's run by this delusional guy. Um, what's his name? Mould or Moulton or something. Um 
I think he's an absolute liability, to be honest. He seems to be completely stuck in the mindset of this being some uh, brilliant sort of high-tech business, which it's not. It's just selling nutrition and makeup-type products, I think, online. Uh, well, nutrition, sports, all those sorts of things. I don't know. Is it makeup or am I getting it muddled up with Revolution Beauty? Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, big turnover, no profits. So obviously the opportunity there is... You know, if you've got two billion revenues, as this thing does, each 1% they can add on to the gross margin is 20, 20 million on the bottom line, isn't it? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, people interested in this who you would imagine know what they're doing. So maybe the turnaround story might work. But all I can base it on is what are the numbers now and what have the numbers historically been? And they've been terrible for THG. So for that reason, I'm just extremely negative on, on the share. Okay, I've run out of time for part one, so I'll leave it there and do uh, carry on to part two if you're interested. Thanks for listening then. Bye.